Now, back to Sports 56 Mornings. Morning! On Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Final hour for us today here on Sports 56 Mornings, the Thursday, January 18th, 2024 edition. Greg Gaston, Eli Savoy, Zach Boyd with you from the Family Leisure Studios. Family Leisure. Their floor model sale continues at 2120 Witten Road, just north of I-40. As Commander Chuck said, get a little dicey out there. We got the rain coming down, kind of a freezing rain mix, and that's expected throughout the day. Tonight, though, we may get a little more of the white stuff. About an inch of snow is expected, but about a 60% chance of snow. Right now, it is 32 degrees. We're looking at 35 for a high today and a low tonight of 22 degrees we continue on here on sports 56 mornings and one of our good friends who covers alabama football all things alabama is our good buddy john Totti. he is the senior writer for 247 sports and wall street journal he's also a best-selling author we've had him on talking about his great book about nick saban the leadership secrets of nick saban and now he's writing another book as john joins us now on sports 56 mornings you can follow him on twitter at jay Totti. hey john Going on. What's going on with you and this new book I'm reading about with Armin Katayan? What's going on? Tell everybody about that. Yeah, it's going to come out uh, in I think either late August or early September. It's basically a, a year inside the chaos of college football, and uh, it's interesting. It's been an exciting week, obviously, in Alabama, a lot going on, but it's been interesting for us that some of the main characters that are going to be in that book are Nick Saban, Jim Harbaugh, Jed Fish. Uh, so all three of those guys have played out very publicly in the last week. So that's been a lot of rewriting uh, happening. But you know, sometimes you just have to get lucky. And we, you know, picking those three guys as our main characters has, uh, I guess, paid off well, uh, given what's happened recently. Yeah, timing is everything. And, of course, good timing with your book about Nick Saban because, lo and behold, not that much later, he decides to call it quits. Number one. Were you surprised that he picked this time for stepping away from the game and retiring? And number two, going back to your kind of chaos thing of, of college football, especially the last year or two, do you think that was the reason why the whole NIL, the transfer portal, that he decided to walk away? I think it definitely played a role. I think that when you consider what these guys are, we're already dealing with, right? You know, Nick Saban's a guy who had a healthy appetite for work and was known for putting in long hours for you know the last 50 years of his life in college football. And so it wasn't like there was a lot of extra time uh, just kind of lying around that they had to deal with things like NIL and transfer portal and all these other different issues. So I think it started wearing on him more. Um, I don't think it's exclusively the reason why he's, decided to retire uh, last Wednesday, but I think it's an extra factor. And I think, you know, you get to a certain age in life. He's 72 years old. He's been doing this for 50-something years. Uh, it's just a grind. It wears you down. And I think dealing with these new issues, I think it's just an extra kind of factor and deterrent that you get, that he had to, you know, wrap his head around and, you know, kind of just gets you at a certain point. Um, to answer the first part of your question, like, it's been, it was rumored and whispered about for months, I would say, but just, I think what made it hard for people like me to really wrap our heads around it was because he was still working at such a high level. It's not like we saw this noticeable drop off. Right. He was still flying all around the country and visiting recruits. And, you know, it's been well reported now, but, you know, that Wednesday, 
he was still he was still interviewing coaching candidates for his staff. I mean, there were guys who were expecting to be on his staff moving forward based on their conversations they had of him on Wednesday. And you can imagine the shock that those guys had when a couple hours later they find out he's retiring. And so it caught a lot of people off guard, the actual moment itself. But am I shocked that he decided to retire overall? No. But I think just when we got past this period, you thought, all right, I guess he's doing at least one more year. And I think that's what caught people off guard when he finally did pull the plug. The So as a guy who wrote a book about his leadership secrets, how tough of a job does Kalen DeBoer have coming in there following that the, the Nick Saban act and trying to keep Alabama at that type of level? Yeah, it's extremely, it's extremely hard, and it was going to be hard no matter what. But you know, I think what makes it especially tricky right now is just the current environment that we're in. You know, if Kalen took on this job five, six years ago, he comes into a – loaded roster we know that he's a good coach based on what we've seen at washington you know with his offensive style and, and all these different things and he's inheriting a great roster and you know he throws on his style and you expect him to immediately compete for the sec championship well because of the way that things work now which the portal immediately opens up for 30 days when there's a coaching change he's not inheriting a fully loaded roster i mean guys like caleb downs who i think is one of if not the best defensive player in the country is leaving uh, starting left tackle, Caden Proctor, a former five-star recruit, is leaving. And there's been multiple other guys who have jumped in. Isaiah Bond, leading receiver, is already gone to Texas. So he's inheriting a even harder challenge uh, than he would have in the past without even factoring in that anytime he does anything, fans are going to think, is that what Saban would have done? <laughs> and that's going to loom over him for, you know, for forever, probably, uh, unless he somehow surpasses what Nick did in Tuscaloosa. Well, it's not like you've had the um, opportunity to talk to these players, I don't think anyway, but why do you think these players, obviously they have 30 days, that's not a ton of time, but it's enough time. Why don't you think they give the new coach coming in the benefit of the doubt to at least talk to Kalen DeBoer before they decide to jump in the portal, or do you believe that as soon as that news comes down about Nick Saban, here come the Sharks? Yeah, I think, it, I think it absolutely. I mean, because that's one of the most talented rosters in the country. And what's unique about it is, and we've now since seen Washington and Arizona and South Alabama and some other schools where theirs have opened up as well. But for the most part, for 99% of schools, the portal is closed. So you've got schools like Georgia and Texas and Ohio State and others where they don't have to worry about losing any of their guys right now. So they can just go full bore pursuit of trying to get guys off Alabama's roster. Right. And so that makes it very challenging and I think what we've learned over the last week or so and I think I always knew this but I think Alabama fans are unfortunately coming to this realization is that the majority of guys came to Alabama to play for Nick Saban now do they understand the history of Alabama and the tradition and all those things of course but they came to play for Nick Saban and so with Nick Saban gone I think a lot of guys are thinking well I came here for Nick Saban he's gone do I still want to be here and I think part of that factor is, too, Alabama recruited so nationally under Nick Saban that a lot of these guys didn't, ha didn't grow up being Alabama fans. You know, they didn't grow up 20 minutes down the road. I would love nothing more to play for Alabama. They grew up in California and Ohio and Texas and all these different states where they knew what Alabama was, and they thought, I can learn from the greatest coach ever, and I can be developed for the NFL. Well, 
how that guy's gone. And, you know, no knock on Dylan DeBoer, who was just in the national championship game, but he doesn't have anywhere close to the name recognition that Nick Saban did. And so I think a lot of these guys don't really know him, and they're thinking, well, I'm just going to leave and go somewhere to a coach that I know. So with all of the departures you you just mentioned, and there could still obviously be some more now, maybe after spring, I guess there could be some that come in if Kalen DeBoer has a chance to, to bring them in. But if Milrose back and kind of most of the guys that haven't left yet return, like what is this Alabama roster going into next year? Is it a like national championship type contender? Is it a fringe playoff team? What is this roster right now you think that he is inheriting? It is not a national championship roster. Uh, I don't think that at all right now. Now, again, things are changing so quickly, you know, hour to hour, day to day. You know, we'll see what he's able to do. I think it's important for him right now to stop the bleeding and keep as many of these guys on the roster. And then, yeah, I think you're going to have to go shopping moving forward, whether it's grabbing some guys from Washington, but also, you know, come spring. But, I mean, you just, this is a roster that we talked about this a lot this year was not one of Nick Saban's most talented teams to begin with, right? I think it took every ounce of Nick Saban's coaching ability to get them to where they were at the end of the year. And, of course, they came very close to playing in a national championship. In many ways, I think they should have played in that game, and I think they would have won that game. But you know, they end up losing in overtime to Michigan, and guys start leaving. But, you know, you're losing again. You're losing a lot of talented guys. You lost your leading receiver. You lost your leading tackler. You lost your starting uh, left tackle. Uh, you lost... Trey Amos, who is most likely going to be your number one cornerback next year. You lost Roydell Williams, who was your number two running back this year. Like That's not even counting already known NFL draft departures of Floyd McKinstry and Darion Arnold and, and down and down the line. So this is not a fully loaded roster. Now, could he get it to a level? Could he coach them up? Can he develop them into a fringe playoff candidate? Yeah, I think that's possible. But like as I look at it right now, I don't know, guys. It feels like eight and four to me, uh, just wow. knowing what their schedule is, too. I mean, they have to play at Oklahoma, at Wisconsin, at LSU. They have Georgia at home. They have Auburn at home, at Tennessee, Missouri at home. This is a, this is a tough schedule. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are fully loaded teams. I mean, that at Wisconsin is not going to be easy. Georgia, your first month as Alabama's head coach, like, that feels like a loss at this point. <laughs> We were talking about, oh, go ahead. And I'm sure the Alabama fans will be very understanding well, if they go eight and four. That's what I want to get into. That's what I want to get into because obviously I was talking earlier about the timing, the timing of your book. You know, timing is, is everything, right? It's great timing for you. This is horrible timing when you combine they're losing the GOAT, but here comes Texas and Oklahoma to come into the conference starting this upcoming year. So even more pressure on Kalen DeBoer. But to Eli's point, how much lead way does the Alabama faithful give DeBoer? A year. Uh, you know, I think that's probably what you get. I mean, I think if you look at just, you know, in general, what college football has become at this point, I think you get the first year um, as a leeway. I think, you know, you got to get your, your guys in place, recruiting all these different things. But I think generally speaking, you get three years to figure it out, right? Big picture, you know, like if you don't have it figured out by year three, you're probably getting fired uh, at a school like Alabama. And so there's going to be real pressure for him to deliver early on. I think he'll get some leeway year one, just people understanding, you know, hey, it's different. We're dealing with a new environment with NIL and transfer portal and all these different things. But, you know, he'll have to really have it go in year two where he's going to be heading into an extremely hot seat year three. Because guys, when you think about it, when you take out Nick Saban's first year, which, again, that's the leeway year, 
his worst year of the last 16 seasons was 10 and 3 in 2010. And that included the comeback, which was, you know, a devastating loss, but they, you know, should have won that game. So you're, you know, they have not gone worse than 10 and 3 in the last 14 years. Jeez. So if they have a 9 and 3, if they have an 8 and 4, they, these fans just haven't experienced that in 14 years. I mean, that's absurd to think about. And they've gotten very spoiled. And so I don't think they're going to love it. They're not going to react well, but I would hope that they would understand you got to give the guy at least his first year to try to figure it out. Yeah, because yeah, their fans think, like, we're in the four-team playoff every year. A 12-team playoff, that's like our right to be. I mean, that just is understood. We'll be at a 12-team playoff, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, and but, I mean, just think about what the SEC is right now. Georgia is a monster. Ole Miss is going all in clearly this year and how aggressive they've been in the transfer portal. Uh, you've got all these other schools that are, you know, Texas is coming in fully loaded. Oklahoma had a pretty good year. They're coming in. You've got Missouri, Tennessee. I mean, there's just a lot of schools that are in pretty good places right now, I think, in the SEC. So, like you guys said, it's, it's a dangerous time to have a big transition, and it's not any guarantee that you're going to make the playoffs. But, you know, you would have thought under Nick Saban, 12 team, we're getting it every single year that he's coaching. And under Kalen DeBoer, you just can't say that yet. All right, two-parter for you. If you were in Greg Byrne's shoes, would that have been your choice, Kalen DeBoer? And as far as you know, was it inquiries inquiries into Dan Lanning and that was pretty much it and Kalen DeBoer was the next guy? Or was there somebody else in the mix that nobody knows about? Yeah, you know, I had a story last week trying to get into some of that. And it's always really hard because of just the way these things work. And, you know, your uh, local Memphis guy, Jimmy Sexton, is the master (laughs) at you know, mixing these things, it's hard to know. So what actually happened? But, you know, guys that I know that they talked to, whether it's just they would talk to Jimmy about him or they went direct, Dan Lanning was one of them, Steve Sarkeesian was another, and then, you know, Mike Norvell down at Florida State. Those are the main ones that, you know, I think were in the mix beyond Kalen DeBoer. I think Norvell was a very serious candidate. Um, Now, whether they offered him the job and he turned it down or whether – Florida State just thought he had an offer and turned it down. You know, that's a little bit, each side told you something different, is how I would put it. But right. they were certainly very interested in Mike. And so, for me, it's hard to argue if the staff he's put together feels strong. I, I think I might have leaned into more of a Mike Norvell type just because of how, you know, how good he's been at building uh, a team off the transfer portal, which is his current world. He's got ties to the South. I think that would have been maybe more of my preference, like, of course, Stark would have been probably my number one, make him say no type guy. And, you know, I think that that conversation potentially happened. Um, but, you know, Kalen DeBoer, hard to argue that much of a guy who right. days earlier was playing the national championship game. But I think I just would have leaned a little bit differently. But he's clearly a great candidate, and he's you know, hired some, some really good coaches on his staff so far. It's just it's it's funny because through all the years, like when people were talking about, like, who is going to be that guy to succeed yeah. Nick Saban, like that it ends up being a – a guy who at that time was completely unknown to the worst of the world, right, basically. Right. And a guy who, you know, at Washington from Fresno State, like, with all of the names that have ever been mentioned, like, it ends up being Kalen DeBoer, which is weird. Yeah. Yeah, it was like Dabo, like Dabo, Kiffin, Sark. Those were the names. And Kalen DeBoer is the guy to replace the guy. I joke, there's like a graveyard of names that we've talked about as possibly being the guy that had no shot by the time it actually came. And that was always the really hard thing with this because like, it's like you guys said, like it's all about the timing. And so if you went back a couple of years ago, Mario Cristobal was one of those names. You went back a couple of years ago, Billy Napier was one of those names. And the timing just has to line up perfectly in which you are doing well 
but also movable, right? So Steve Sarkeesian and Kirby Smart, two of the obvious names that they would have, I know that they had interest in, but those guys are also too entrenched to really move. So it, it was a really hard time to try to find a coach, I think. And again, I think Greg Byrne did a really good job getting Kale on the board. But if you ask Alabama fans, I mean, honestly, even go, let's just go to November. Hey, do you know who Kalen DeBoer is and do you know what he looks like? Even yeah. the most hardcore of Alabama fans, I doubt many of them right. would have known much about him, right? I mean, he just yeah. was not a guy that you really knew much about before this year. And uh, it just speaks to just kind of how wild this whole thing is. Yeah. Of course, doesn't mean he won't crush it, and that's what Alabama fans certainly are hoping. And, of course, John will have you covered. John, one more time for the folks out there about the new book and when that will be available. Yeah, so it's called The Price. Uh, it'll be coming out, I think, either late August or early September. I'm doing it with Armin Katayan, a former 60 Minutes correspondent. He's written a bunch of best-selling books, including about Tiger Woods and all that. And so we're excited to deep dive inside the chaos of college football. Uh, it's a lot of things that you've never read before about Nick Saban, Jim Harbaugh, uh, the NCAA's battle with NIL and recruiting, all these different things. I'm really excited for it to uh, come out, and I'm sure uh, – you guys will have me. We'd love to come on and talk about it more once uh, the book comes out. Absolutely. Well, yeah, with that title there, I thought maybe you were doing a, uh, was a story about another great Alabama coaching tenure of Mike Price. I didn't know for sure. Since you're being the Alabama coaches, <laughs> thought maybe you're writing a book about Mike Price's wonderful tenure there at Alabama. That ship has sailed, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I've actually been working on a podcast project about Mike Price, but you know, that's not we'll really. Oh but, hey, gosh, you know, maybe they'll come out. Okay, <laughs> he is John Taunty, senior writer for Two Four Seven Sports, Wall Street Journal as well. And make sure if you haven't picked up his book, it's been out for a while. Good timing with Nick Saban's retirement, the leadership secrets of Nick Saban, how Alabama's coach became. Game the greatest ever. He is John Taunty. You can follow him on Twitter at JTaunty. Talk to you down the road, John. Thank you as always. I'm good. Appreciate you guys. Take care. Folks, when it's cold and rainy or snowy and just kind of miserable like it's been, what will make you real feel good is a nice, big, warm mm. breakfast from folks over at Sunrise. Yeah. Go on over there, get one of those great biscuit sandwiches or maybe the kitchen sink because you just need a lot of good comfort food. They can take good care of you. The breakfast bowls, all kinds of great items, dishes on that breakfast menu over at Sunrise. Maybe you can have a Bloody Mary or a mimosa or just a beer, any of those, while you're enjoying that breakfast as well. Of course, lunch menu, lots of great items on there as well. The French dip, I think, is probably my favorite thing on the lunch menu. Great bacon cheeseburger. They've got sandwiches, salads. they get got all kinds of great things on that lunch menu to choose from as well. Sunrise, the original, is at 670 Jefferson Avenue. That's, uh, of course, right there, kind of between Midtown and Downtown. And then you've got Sunrise East on Poplar Avenue out in East Memphis. Both places there for great breakfast, great lunch. You can find them online, sunrise901.com. You can order online for pickup to make it easy to pop in, grab your stuff, and be on your way from Sunrise. The roads are getting really bad. When I get a couple of texts from people who are great drivers in this type of weather, and they tell me, you better be careful going home, Greg. I know that the roads are bad. So, again, if you have to go out, be very, very ca- uh, very, very careful. If you don't have to go out, just don't go out. It's it's pretty bad. Probably the worst it's been in the four days since we had that initial snowfall. So be careful out there. When we come back, the legend. He's a Hall of Famer in the NFL Hall of Fame. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame. The great Kellen Winslow will join us. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. 
You already know you can listen to Sports 56 anywhere with the Sports 56 app or at sports56whbq.com. But you can also watch us daily with live video of all of our shows on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Now back to Sports 56 Mornings. Good morning! On Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Welcome back, everyone. 929 the time. Final half hour and change before we wrap it up on this Thursday. Get you set for Waldo and Friends on Sports 56. We're back tomorrow to wrap up this uh, wild week. John Barless, Matt Dillon, the Tiger basketball report, Brandon Lang, all on the show tomorrow. But uh, right now it is time to talk to another legend of the game of football. And it has been our treat over the years to be able to have these great players join us uh, because of gridiron great, something that's extremely important for players to um, to think about, players that have gone before them and uh, to take care of those players and the Gridiron Greats Assistance Fund. The Pork Rind Appreciation Day is Super Bowl Sunday, and they got the Pass the Pigskin sweepstakes going on. You can go to porkrindappreciationday.com, win some great prizes, and here to talk about the Gridiron Greats Assistance Fund, his amazing career, NFL Hall of Famer, College Football Hall of Famer, the great Kellen Winslow, joining us now on Sports 56 Mornings. Kellen, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. It's great to have you on the program. And Thank you. Before Thank you. we dive into football today and when you played and all those great moments, as I just mentioned, the Gridiron Greats Assistance Fund, extremely important for football players, especially those your age or even older with assistance. Well, those my age and even older, that's a pretty old group right there. <laughs> <laughs> I turned 66 this year. God bless and you. I'm I'm still I'm, I'm still trying to you know figure that out how I got here <laughs> to this number, but I'm glad I'm here. Uh, you know, there was a time in the NFL and with the Players Association, the union, that they just did not do a very good job of meeting the needs of retired players. And Mike Ditka started the Gridiron Great Assistance Fund several years ago, well, 15, 20 years ago now, I do believe, uh, to fill that gap, and it's been doing great work ever since. No doubt about it, and uh, I know you guys have been paired up. Uh, they've been paired up with Southern Recipe Pork Rinds for for many years doing this. It's 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 uh, you know getting the word out, helping, but also giving folks, uh, giving somebody out there a chance to win. That's that's always a great thing. Somebody's going to win a cash prize of five thousand dollars, fifteen months supply of pork rinds. That that can't be bad either. <laughs> that can't be bad at all. Uh, and those gifts, they can use them to support their local. You know, Little League team at the concession stand, you can donate them there, sell them there, and raise some money for your organization. So, Kellen, um, it's been a while since you played the game, but you've done a lot of different things. I was looking at uh, your resume after football, a lot of things that you've gotten into. What are you, what are you doing these days? I'm retired. you playing golf? I retired. Um, well, no, I live in the Midwest right now, so not this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow is supposed to be 40. Maybe I can get out and hit some balls during that. The, uh, you know, just retired, uh, trying to figure out what's next. As I said earlier, I'm 66 years old. I worked in higher education. I worked for the Disney company. 
down in Orlando, Florida, so Lake Buena Vista, Florida. And it's just a, a variety of things. And, you know, I'm one of those guys who's a firm believer or you are the totality of your experiences. Mm. So the more experiences that you have, the more well-rounded you're going to be and the more your perspective on the world will be broad. It won't be so narrow. So as a guy myself who grew up in the Midwest and I'm trying to move south because of the better weather. <laughs> you were in Orlando, Lake Buena Vista, and now you went back to the Midwest. What were you thinking? Uh, parents. My <laughs> parents were getting older. We lost my dad about three years ago. And so I came home to be closer to them. Uh, six of my, well, five of my brothers and sisters were still in the area. So I came home to be with family. I'm reading about the, the draft and and. I'm, I'm, look, I'm 62, so I, I go back. I remember uh, all, all your days playing for the Chargers and all that. But I didn't know this. So you were expected to go higher. You're still on the board at 13. Cleveland has the selection, and then the Chargers trade up. Is that what happened? So you could have ended up playing your career in Cleveland, for goodness sakes. Instead, you play it in San Diego in beautiful weather. We're just talking about the weather. So is that what happened, and they made a deal and moved up and got you? They moved up and got me. I just want to, you know, the Chicago Bears passed me twice. The Buffalo Bills passed me twice. You see the theme here? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Cincinnati they're, Bengals. They're, they're morons. That's the theme, Kelly. <laughs> you know, passed on me. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful that they did. And I ended up in San Diego with uh, now Hall of Fame coach Don Correa, mm-hmm. Hall of Fame quarterback Dan Faust, and Hall of Fame wide receiver Charlie Joyner. Uh, so it worked out well for me not to be what they so call some of the experts predicted back in those days before cable TV that I would be the third player taken in the draft, and that would have put me in Cincinnati. And then Chicago told me that they were interested if I was still on the board, and Buffalo told me the same thing with their second pick. And uh, you know, Chicago did well with their draft. They got the guy by the name of Dan Hampton, mm-hmm. who worked out well for them, and a guy by the name of Al Harris, who worked out equally well for them. And I ended up in San Diego, and I'm glad I did. So you are in the, you're you're in the Hall of Fame, you're in the college football. But in high school football, you did not play football till you were a senior. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that's true. How that's true. how is that even possible? Like, like how what were you doing instead of playing football? My well, I was working at United Partial Service uh, after school, my sophomore and junior year. Don't do the math. I wasn't old enough to work there. They didn't check those things back in those days. Uh, all that good stuff. Uh, so yeah, get that into this disclaimer out. And I was making you know decent money working part-time. I was a member of the Teamsters Union, and I didn't have a driver's license, so I had to ride my bike during the summertime to work over the bridge from St. Louis to East, from East St. Louis to St. Louis. Wow. And my parents would pick me up at night because I worked a second shift. Uh, part-time, second shift. And it was my end of my junior year, my high school coach, who was my gym teacher, approached me and told me I belonged on a football field. I said, okay, well, whatever, I, I got to go to work. So I went to work, and the next day he, he came back to my geometry class, and he pulled me out of my geometry class and said, son, you don't understand. We think that you could play at the next level. And I'm going, okay, I got to go to work. <laughs> So they spent some time working on me and convinced me to take a leave of absence. That was an interesting conversation with my shop steward. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, to take a leave of absence from UPS, and I went out for football and 
Yeah, well, it worked out well, let's put it that way. And I'm so thankful to Coach Cornelius Perry and Coach Jimmy Lewis for changing my life. The rest is history. Um, Kellen, part of the NFL's all-1980s team, 75th anniversary team, 100th anniversary team. I'm sure you'll be the 200th anniversary and the 500th anniversary (laughs) Pro Football Hall of Famer, College Football Hall of Famer, and he's joining us here on Sports 56 Morning. So what was your – we always ask this to the the athletes. What was your welcome to the NFL moment? Oh, wow. Maybe maybe a hit you took, maybe a play you made on somebody else, but you're like, all right, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, wow. That's a a good question. Uh, I don't think about that one. Let's come back to that because I think it was my welcome to the NFL moment. Yeah, I mean, you figured it would be your rookie season. The other thing is that you played your entire career – with one team. We don't see that anymore. Now, I don't know what the options were when when you were playing. Free agency had already began, right? So, I mean, you... you, you no, oh, it no had free agency. Was, it had not. Okay. Uh, they had those, you know, very exclusive contracts. And if I had retired after five years in the league, the Chargers will still own the rights to my contract. Oh, geez. Back in, back in the dark ages there. Uh, free agency, we're talking 93 so if you uh, had if you had that you you have options so you, I guess you can understand players moving around I I love it when player stays with one organization but I understand when when they have better opportunities or their time winds down with a particular team to have those options to go somewhere else yeah exactly it's those it's, it's uh, an opportunity for them to take advantage of what the market has to offer which is as I'm told uh, it's the American way. <laughs> you take your services other places and to do those types of things so it works out well now um yeah there was ooh, a dictatorship ownership yeah. <laughs> uh there's a reason why they call them owners right uh to at that time to just control your rights and where you could or could not play and with the usfl coming into focus and then the new uh contracts and the influx of money from television in 93, uh, really, you know, we struck, what, two times before we got free agency, right. maybe three, three times. And Jeez. I was part of two of those strikes. So you still, um, to this day, are one of the record holders for receiving touchdowns in a game with your five-touchdown performance. You're, of course, very well known for the divisional playoff game against the Dolphins. Like, when you think back, are, are like, I'm sure those are the things you're asked about most, but, like, what games, what things stand out to you about your career? The, the five-touchdown game you talk about is, is, is you know, it's a good number. The great thing about it was it was against those Raiders in <laughs> Oakland. <laughs> I'm sure they loved it there. <laughs> sure, you weren't booed I, a little I, bit, yeah, Kelly. Yeah, it was booed. against the Raiders in Oakland. <laughs> so that was the beauty of that. And where are the Raiders now? They've moved around a couple of places. <laughs> they're in uh, Santa Fe. No, they're in Vegas. Yeah, that's right. They? <laughs> <laughs> and doing very well. The that's the great thing about it. I'm going to go back to your question. What was my NFL moment? Yeah. The speed. The speed of the, the game. Speed, so you were like, the speed okay. of the game. Uh, the speed between preseason and regular season. Hmm. So I, I grow up, again, I'm 62, so I, I grow up, and uh, even though I'm not from Baltimore, I was a Colts fan. And they had a great tight end named John Mackey, I'm sure you yes. know. But yes. really, when you think about it, um, 
you started you started this whole thing. I mean, the, obviously the the game has transformed into a passing game, but you were doing the stuff now that you see tight ends when you see. Uh, Kelsey, and when you see all these guys around the NFL, all the tight ends now, they're going out, they're running uh, deep patterns, they're catching passes. They're, when I was a little little guy, I mean, it was they were blockers. They just blocked. You kind of take you you kind of change things for tight ends. Do you feel that way? Well, I didn't change it, Don Coriel. Well, yes, yes, it. yes. Yeah, you know the coaches they call the plays. Uh, Joe Gibbs was our was our offensive coordinator when I was in San Diego, my early days in San right. Diego. Ernie Zampezi, you know, these are great offensive minds throughout the years. But Don Coriel, he came up with the idea of take out the fullback and put in the second tight end uh, because they felt that I could do some things that uh, would help the team and uh, cause some mismatches. And that's what really changed the game. John Mackey could have done what I did. Mm -hmm. You know, Charlie Sanders could have done what I did. Uh, A lot of players could have done. I happen to be the lucky one who was in San Diego when the change occurred. Well said. So you we you mentioned the Raiders. Uh, obviously, they hated Raiders and their move. Did I? Did, does Did it, I mention the Raiders? Okay. <laughs> does it like does it kill you that the Chargers are no longer in San Diego? Like, how do you feel about the fact that there's no longer a team in San Diego? My therapist told me to stop talking about it. <laughs> the best way to deal with this and to get over this is to stop bringing it up, and you guys bring it up again. <laughs> So and that's going to be the first I, thing my therapist and I talk about next week. So, <laughs> so do they? I, I do they not? Um, there's a, there's a hole in San Diego because of yeah. that, and uh, you know it, it, it could have worked out differently. It didn't. You can't go back and change the past. Will they ever come back? You know, they were in LA at one point in time. Came down to San Diego. But mm-hmm. you know, economic conditions, market conditions may change. But yeah, it's just I just say Chargers. <laughs> you have been and, and were for years and years and years and, and still are. You, you carry the torch, uh, the proud African-American that you are, uh, a, a vocal proponent of affirmative action. In fact, part of that Hall of Fame speech, you, you talked about that highlighting the lack of African-Americans in non-playing roles. Here in 2024, uh, obviously they've made strides. Have they made good enough strides that you feel that, uh, okay, everybody's getting a fair shake or there's still a ways to go? There's a ways to go, and when we talk about change and opportunity, we're not talking about a number. Mm-hmm. We're talking about, again, a market condition. I've used that term a couple of times in this conversation, but the market conditions, are they uh, conducive to opportunity? And as you go back and you track it, and you can't understand the whole story until you do the history of it all. Right. I mean, there were rules in place against people of color playing this game. The owners had an agreement. We are not going to bring in people of color. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. It has happened in every industry in this country. And sports, of course, being playing the role that it does in this country is a leader in that. So if we can get those opportunities in sports, we can spread that message and become the country that we claim we want to be. Because mm-hmm. we're not. Yeah. Very we're said. not. Well said. Let's be real. Yeah, We're, we're not. So... When I see an individual who has put in the time and the energy to hone their skills as a coach and has gone through all the clinics and the training, has moved around and done all those other things, and I see someone else come in who has you know, uh, fewer credentials and they get that opportunity, 
you have to you have to raise the question: Why mm-hmm. is this still this way? And we have to address that. And until we do, you know, we're not going to be the country we're supposed to be that our so-called forefathers said we should be. No doubt about that. I know you have to be excited about your Missouri Tigers the year they had this year. Yeah, <laughs> the Ohio State. I have a lot of friends from Ohio who don't talk to me anymore. <laughs> you wouldn't rub it in, would you, Callan? You I would rub it not, in their faces. I would not rub it in. I would not do that to them. Uh, they're good people. And, you know, they're football loyalties. You know, we could still be friends. There you go. Uh, but they just had a great year. Yeah. You know, they just had a great year. And, and sometimes, you know, things just kind of fall in place, and, uh, you know, they worked hard, they did what they were supposed to do, and beat the teams, and, uh, you know, easily were one game away from being in the mix, mm-hmm. in, the, in the big game, yeah. One and game away. Who knows what would have happened if it was uh, the 12-team playoff this year, and maybe next year they'll they'll have that opportunity again, but they would have been right in the mix for the uh, the playoffs here this yeah, year. Yeah, 12-teams they would have been in. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would think so. All right, before we let you go, uh, thoughts on the eight remaining teams as far as who do you think is going to come out of it and uh, hoist the Super Bowl trophy, the Lombardi trophy? Baltimore. Why? The defense and uh, a chance, and you got a guy by the name of Lamar Jackson. He's okay. <laughs> who's, a, who's a game changer. You know, he can put the ball in his hand and, and make plays in the fourth quarter and, and uh, you know, keep you in the ball game mm-hmm. with their defense. And that's what wins championships is defense. The uh, there's there's no doubt they're 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 one of the best. 49ers are great, and there's some really good tight ends still remaining out there too in these playoffs as well. So uh, I know you'll you'll be appreciative of that. Of course, again the Pork Ryan Appreciation Day coming up Super Bowl Sunday, and Gridiron Great Assistance Fund has teamed up with Southern Recipe Pork Rinds once again. PorkRindAppreciationDay.com is where you can go to register when uh, to get a cash prize of five thousand dollars, fifteen month supply of pork rinds. You can pass the pigskin pork rinds onto a friend for 15 months also clubs and charities will win pork rinds to sell at the concession stands so all kinds of great things that they're doing with southern recipe pork rinds and the gridiron greats assistance fund kellen thank you so much for your time we really appreciate it's it. it's been our pleasure kellen thank you you guys are pretty good at this you should think about making it a career <laughs> thank you sir thank take you. care bye-bye that's insane to me to think that he didn't play high school football to his senior year and ends up as a college football hall of famer and a pro football hall of famer. Like, what if the coach doesn't talk him into it? What if he never played? Like, what if he says, you know what? No, I like working at UPS. I don't want to play football. And he never plays football. I, I know, but there are people out there in all walks of life that they just got to get that opportunity, right? Uh, I always say that, you know, whoever you consider the greatest actor or actress, like, there's probably somebody in Los, Los Crocios, uh, how do you pronounce it? Los Crocios, Mexico, New Mexico, rather, who's probably going to be better but they're not going to get that opportunity. Or the next star, who's the next Tom Brady? There's probably a person out there who can be, but they don't get that opportunity. So luckily, they figured it out and gave him the opportunity. For those young people that are listening to this show, look look at video of Kellen Winslow. Yes, he gave all the credit to Don Coriel with Eric Coriel, and he should because he came up with the concept with Gibbs, Zampezi, all those guys coaching the offense. But to have Jefferson, to have Joyner on the outside, to have Fouts throwing the ball, 
good running backs. Chuck Muncie, I think, was with that team. I might be wrong about that. And then you have this big, strong, fast tight end. He started it. John Mackey did some good things with the Colts, but he really started what we see now in the NFL with tight ends and pass-catching tight ends as opposed to just simply in there to block. I'm also blown away by the fact that he said he used to ride his bike from East St. Louis over the bridge to St. Louis to go to UPS every day. I've driven across that bridge a long time, a lot of time. That's crazy the idea that a little kid just riding his bike across there. And I don't know what it was like in those days, but my goodness gracious, you're riding across the Mississippi River to go to work every day? Yeah. I can't even imagine uh, people doing it today, going from uh, West Memphis to Memphis. But I'm sure, look, you got to work, got to make some money. You're going to do it. Uh, Speaking of uh, great places, we were talking about a great tight end. Now we're talking about a great place to eat, and that's the Crazy Coop. The best hot wings in town with two convenient locations, 7199 Highway 64 between Appling and Kirby Witten. The Crazy Coop Express at 1315 Ridgeway off Poplar. They are open seven days a week from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. with 27 different wing seasonings for their chicken wings, whether it be the whole wings, the party wings, the boneless wings. Absolutely out of this world. Big, juicy chicken tenders as well. You can order up, pick up yourself. You can have any of the delivery services delivered to your home or office. They will cater events, so call them, contact them, or just stop by and talk to them about their catering services. Uh, you can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. Delicious flavors, as I said, like the mango habanero, the sweet taste of mango, followed by the heat, the sweet maple bourbon. The taste will remind you of chicken and waffles. Again, that's just two of the 27 amazing chicken wing seasonings. That's why they stand above every hot wing place in Memphis the crazy coop. If you haven't checked them out, you need to do so as soon as possible. Obviously, today's a rough day with the roads, but get on out there when the weather gets better and take advantage of it. They got the big screens, the Bartlett location, and you can just kick back, relax, and look at their full menu, which includes delicious catfish sandwiches, half pound burgers. So, not just the chicken wings. They have the great sides like the fried okra, the green tomatoes, the fried dill pickles. Enjoy some games as you. Uh, Dive into the Crazy Coop and their delicious chicken wings and much, much more. Again, two locations, 7199 Highway 64. That's between Appling and Kirby Witten. And if you want to zip in, get your wings and zip out, the Crazy Coop Express at 1315 Ridgeway off Poplar. We're coming back to wrap it up in just a moment. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56, 98.5 FM. Join the voice of the Tigers, Dave Woloshin, for Wolo and Friends. Weekday mornings from 10 to 11, here on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now, back to Sports 56 mornings. Morning. On Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Continue to get reports uh, that the roads are... Very much slick and getting slick all over the place because of the rain, the freezing rain, kind of putting a little little glaze of ice over everything out there. So if you are out there or getting ready to go out, be very careful. Once again, proving that the folks here in this city, they don't miss an opportunity. Some of those great people in the city that don't miss an opportunity. Channel 3 has a story about an Amazon truck that got jackknifed on the ice and the people try to break into it. Of course. Because they will not be deterred. The ice will not deter them. Like, wait a second. You're stuck, sir? 
hold on, let me call some of my friends. Like, <laughs> I've got some help coming for you. I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? Like the driver literally says the guy still would come up and ask if he was okay. And they said they got the person got on the phone and then like moments later, like 10 people showed up to try and break into his truck. Like feast on other, pro, uh, other people's, um, Jesus. you know, mishaps and, uh, man, hey, oh criminals stay home. It's dangerous out there. Put your mind into something the road, positive. The roads are slick. Good. Stay in your house. Stay home. Leave the rest of us alone. According to Ian Rappaport, according to his sources, Bill Belichick, you may have heard of him, will have a second interview with the Falcons brass this weekend after meeting with owner Arthur Blank one-on-one this past week. Rappaport saying things are ramping up. I can't even imagine like you're interviewing. Now, Arthur Blank's the owner. Okay, that's one thing. General manager, I don't even know who it is for the Falcons or any of the other brass, the top brass, interviewing Belichick. All right, um, tell me your name again. Oh, let me see your resume. Okay, other than six Super Bowl titles and nine appearances, what have you done? What, what, what can you tell? Can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? I mean, this is Belichick interviewing them, right? This seems to me, if Arthur Blank signs off on this thing, this is a no-brainer. Bill Belichick will be the next coach of the Falcons. Unless there's something he hears, somebody says something stupid in from the top brass in interviewing Belichick, Bill Belichick, I would imagine, will get autonomy. He'll make he'll Arthur Blank will give him the ability to make all the decisions. Again, I don't know who the GM is, so um will the GM have an issue with that? And if he does, he might find himself on the streets because if you have a chance to get the goat, you get the goat. I think this is gonna happen. I, it sounds like they want him. If you're bringing him in for a second interview, um, Arthur Blank has tried many times to get big name coaches. He usually come up short. Maybe this time he finally lands the big fish, and then we'll but then we'll see what he can do. They you know got, what he has? They got to get a quarterback. You know what Arthur has? He has a blank check. He does. I'll write any number that Belichick needs on there. So we'll see what happens as far a as that's gigantic concerned. Gigantic yacht. <laughs> Hey, that'll do it for us today. Again, be careful. If By the way, I think Jerry Jones is bigger. So they were both, they were both, I remember down in Miami at the Super Bowl, they were both like right there next to each other. I think Jerry's is bigger, but Arthur's the, is pretty darn nice. By the way, Atlanta GM, uh, his contract is up. So, oh, there you go. Belichick there, there you could go. Get, the, get that job. At yeah, the Jerry, Jerry says his is bigger to everybody. Uh, Teresa Walker. We thank her. We thank Pete Methurst. We thank John Tauti. We thank Kellen Winslow. Yes, the Hall of Famer for joining us on the program. We're back bright and early tomorrow, no matter what the weather is, starting at 7 a.m. John Varlas, Matt Dillon, the Tiger Basketball Report, and Brandon Lang. And be careful if you have to go out. And, of course, tonight the Tigers at 6 o'clock hosting South Florida. The Grizzlies on the road in Minnesota. That'll be a 9 o'clock game on TNT. Well on friends on Sports 56 is coming up next for Eli Savoy and Zach Boyd. I'm Greg Gaston. Be careful. Have a great day, everybody.